This is Seppa, the Southern Pride Witch, and this is episode 13. I hope y'all had a wonderful week. I did get around to planting all of my onions, and it was a lot of work, but my son helped me, and today it makes me feel really good to know they're down there getting ready to go. Y'all know this time of the year, for anybody who does uh, gardening or farming, is sort of exciting. It's also a little overwhelming. But the excitement comes from knowing that we're about to get these gorgeous seeds and get them going. I cannot tell you how much hope is in that activity. Anyway, it got me to thinking about how I don't talk a whole lot about what I do my first love, which is indeed farming. And so I did think I'd speak to it a little bit today. I promised to tie it into the craft. So don't leave right away. Y'all know that I've talked before in the past about how I'm a very geographical, land-centered witch, which means that I cast from root up. I think very much about where my feet are. I think very much about where I'm gathering my nutrition and spending most of my magical energy. And so I think a lot about Native practices from this land, and I also think a lot about Native plants. Because I do grow all of my own herbs and have over a very long time, these are the herbs that I would use in my craft, and I feel a lot more connected to such a moment because I'm growing them. So it does have everything to do with the craft. And there are ways that you, whether or not you're an actual farmer, can also enjoy that experience. Probably the easiest way, of course, is to grow your own herbs. And while some things do not enjoy being grown in a pot, such as rosemary, I've tried over and over, and it really wants its feet in the ground, y'all. There are other things that do enjoy it, like thyme, and there's all kinds of varieties of thyme, oregano, chives. And so you can grow some of your own herbs and use it in your craft and also use it any kind of self-healing you might do for a tea. One of the things that I grow for tea and one of the ones I use probably the most is lemon balm. It's fairly common, but it tastes just like lemons (laughs) related to the mint family and absolutely fantastic as a tea. We sweeten it with honey. You can have it cold. You can have it hot. I tell you what, cold is fantastic over ice. My chickens like it. But I tell y'all what, I also tend to think about things that grow well in my area. Now, it is really hot down here in the summer, and cilantro will grow here for me, and it has self-seeded, which is wonderful. I never plant it anymore. I just get wonderful little beds of it. But I do love a good homemade salsa, so when I need cilantro, I don't always have it. And then I learned about Popolo from one of my friends from Mexico, and it has changed my life. Or at least, it's changed my salsa. Popolo will withstand practically any heat you give it. It loves the humidity. It pays no never mind to a 100 degree day. 
Now, mine tends to get about five to six feet tall, but I tend to grow things that tall by accident. I have no idea how I'm doing it. Has to be all that singing to it, all that magical reverb coming off of me. But they do get fairly large, and you do want to go look that up. They're beautiful. There went the dogs. But I did do a trial on this one time in a pot, a very nice big pot, because they almost want to be a tree. And it grew absolutely wonderfully. So you can do this. And one papalo will suffice all that summer, into the fall, into the first freeze. You will be giving it away. It's a little less um, soapy for y'all that taste that flavor, you know, with cilantro. It's a little bit more vibrant, a little bit more green tasting, kind of hard to describe. But you might want to give that one a shot. And to me, growing such an herb that suits my climate so much better and is such a wonderful pollinator when it goes to flower. Well, that's sort of a dual purpose plant. And dual purpose matters to me quite a bit as well. I first started thinking this out about four or five years ago in my garden because I absolutely love rattlesnake beans. Rattlesnake green beans have the sweetest flavor to me, and they're just absolutely prolific. However, if you've ever grown rattlesnake beans, you know one thing to be wholly true. If you do not get out there every day when it's really producing and putting off, you are going to miss some. And they're going to get big and they're going to get tough. And so because I get the Cherokee Nation newsletter, I noticed them talking about the Trail of Tears Bean. And I thought I'd give it a shot. It was wonderful. It is a completely dual purpose bean. If you ever want to try this one, I'm pretty sure you can do it in almost any zone. You can grow green beans. So do it. There's a wonderful story behind these beans. I'll leave you to go do your research, but it is very cherished. And if you get the pods young, they are delightful. They're green and tender. But if you forget about these beans, you can let them dry on the vine. And what happens is all of the little beans themselves turn midnight black. And they are the best black beans for soup. Or my favorite, of course, is hummus. I love to make black bean hummus. So that's one of the things that I do for a dual purpose in my yard. Because look, I'm busy. I'm crafting. And the one thing I want to be is a pragmatic witch. I want to be, well, useful in everything I do. Not a lot of frivolity going on over here. The other thing I found was living down here, I'm not going to tell you my exact zone in Alabama, but I will say it's subtropical, but just barely. It's getting more subtropical with climate change and where we've been going lately with that. Anyhow, I have the most trouble with zucchini. Squash borers get to it before I ever get fruit. And if I put it out too early, and that would be, you know, predating those squash borers, Sometimes we get a light breeze and it just kills the whole plant. And I'm not really into self-pollinating. That doesn't feel like the way I want to go with anything. I want a more natural approach. So out of sheer desperation one time, I tried a loofah. Now I'd been growing them for the sponge quality I can get. Now we wash our dishes with those and you could use them for everything from your feet to your car. They don't tend to scratch, and they're organic, and they break down naturally. 
You can even let a toddler gnaw on one and you don't have to worry too much about it. I wouldn't let a baby, but a toddler. But then I saw all these delightful green fruits and they looked so much like zucchini. I did a little research and I found that they're extraordinarily healthy for you. And as long as you get them young, well, there you go. And I was correct. They taste so much like zucchini. I would say maybe a little bit sweeter. And they grill up gorgeous. And what most people don't know is they're just so healthy for you. I mean, you're going to get 66% of your DV, daily value of vitamin A. It also is very high in vitamin B5 and B6 and has quite a bit of vitamin C in it. And then, of course, you're going to get fiber. They're absolutely delicious. But the reason that I wanted to grow them, besides the fact that I love their loofah and they're tasty, is because they seem to be resistant to squash borers. I wouldn't say they're completely impervious, but they do put up one hell of a fight. So we got a couple of things going on here. We've got a lot of extra purpose. We've got way less waste. We have something that is more natural to my environment. And altogether, that makes me feel a lot better as a witch growing these things. And by the way, y'all, at the end of the year, when we are doing our burning woman that we do on Samhain, those loofah vines are wonderful to create a big old head. We tend to burn our garden every year, giving the earth back its ancestors. And, and by the way, that's really rich ash to put down. Careful. Always test your soil, but I do use it, especially in hay bale gardening. And there are a lot of dual purpose things that we don't even think about. I mean, what about radishes? Whether or not you like radishes, their greens are fantastic. Oh, but there's one even better, carrot tops. How many times in your life have you taken carrot tops and thrown them in the garbage or put them in your compost, which by the way is a way better way to go, but have you tried carrot top pesto? I tell y'all what, I make pesto all the time around here because it's way cheaper to do so. Throw it in the freezer. But it wasn't until I made carrot top pesto that my family lost their shit. It has like a vibrant green flavor to it and a little carroty, extraordinarily good for your body. And there's something really fun and satisfying about dipping a carrot into carrot top pesto. (laughs) That's pretty magical in and of itself, especially if you grew it, you know. And y'all, you do not have to use pine nuts in your pesto. Most of us are not made out of money. Walnuts will do just fine. I'll tell you what, if you can afford it or you got a pecan tree or whatever y'all call them. If you have a pecan tree, as we're going to say it correctly... You might want to try those. I've even gone so far as to use macadamia. I did a lemon balm pesto one time with macadamia, and it was through the roof delightful. So anyway, here's all your dual purpose. And why should that matter to the craft? Well, first of all, being environmentally aware and a good steward of your land, that's got to be good for your soul, right? It's got to be good for your magic. But second of all, it's just a good practice to get into to reduce waste, but also to reduce your work and time and concentrate it in the areas that you need to be concentrating it in. Here's something I bet you don't know. How could you? When I podcast and my head is kind of stuck on a concept and 
I'm thinking about it very deeply. You know, I don't do notes, so I never know what I'm going to say. Or when I'm writing under my government name, I publish quite a bit there. And I dig into some kind of an idea that I think has a well of deeper meaning to it. Well, then I know exactly what I'm teaching my coven that week. Conversely, if I'm sitting around in group with my beloveds and we dig into something really cool, of course, leaving out all kinds of personal information. But if it's a concept that I think needs to be talked about more, I might come over here and talk about it on the podcast a little bit. It really deepens the lessons I'm getting out of things to always consider a dual purpose. How else can I explore a concept or how else can I get use out of a situation? And I don't mean manipulating it. I mean using it to its full potential and not wasting anything, including time. Don't ever waste time. If you want to really have nothing to do, sit down, sink into it, put your feet up and don't do shit. That's not really a waste. Oh, and before I completely run away from this conversation, purse lane, y'all, purse lane. I wrote about it in a blog post one time over on my site, and it truly is a powerhouse. It's considered a weed in so many situations, and I always find that hysterical when I was getting my Master Gardener training. One of the first things we learned is a weed is not a scientific term for anything. A weed is simply an unwanted growing plant. There are a lot of slightly invasive or self-seeding things that we won't consider weeds. Like, for instance, um, I've been growing these huge double-headed, they're absolutely wonderful marigolds. I would like to say I've been growing them. I grew them once, and that was seven years ago. And now marigolds just pop up everywhere. They're self-seeding. I wouldn't consider that a weed. But as to purslane, when you ignore purslane, you are ignoring something huge. I think my favorite thing about purslane is its taste because it's crunchy and a little lemony. It's wonderful in a salad, but it is extraordinarily high in omega-3 fatty acids. Most particularly, it also has EPA in addition to ALA. And ALA is usually in plants. But EPA is usually found in fatty fish, algae, and it contains five to seven times more ALA than spinach. I mean, if that alone is not going to get you. Of course, then again, it's got 26% of the daily value of vitamin A, 35% of the daily value of vitamin C. We can go into magnesium and potassium and iron, but it's all fairly high and it's growing everywhere. Of course, you want to make sure you're not getting the ornamental purslane. You want that pretty little yellow flower. I might advise y'all, though, to stay away from the purslane you see growing on a sidewalk downtown. It very well could have been sprayed. You don't know what's gone in it. But if you see it, like, growing around your front door or out in your garden before you just rip it out and throw it away, try it. It is also a dual-purpose plant. When it is dehydrated and then ground down, it is a thickener for soups and stews, a natural one. You know, that viscosity, that um, almost stickiness that you usually get with okra, a little bit of that is going on here. But when dehydrated, oh my gosh. And in a pickle, I have used it for soup or stew. So there you go. A couple of lessons from the farm. 
thought I'd share those. You know, recently I was being interviewed about my farm. I've been interviewed uh, twice now about my farm because it is significantly different than a lot of the farms around in my state. First of all, we're fully organic, but we're also very concerned about natural processes. So we don't use a lot of chemicals, even in our household. And also we're working on becoming a closed uh, loop system which means that the rabbit poo that we are utilizing is pretty much going to be the only manure. We know where all that beautiful Timothy hay and alfalfa is coming from, and we're putting it right back down in the ground and feeding the rabbits and back down in the ground. So I feel a lot better about that. But we were being interviewed, and I was asked what was the, um, I don't remember if it was most important or best one of those kind of words, thing about farming. No, wait, it was, what do I love to grow the most? And I answered okra. And I don't always get a great response from that. (laughs) Not a lot of people that aren't from the South like okra. I like it any old way you can give it to me. I like it sauteed. I like it dehydrated as chips with a little garlic powder. I like it fried. I even like it slimy in a soup. I love Oh, oh gosh, and I love it pickled. But none of those reasons are really the reason I love okra. The reason I love okra the most is that beautiful flower. You know, they're related, the hibiscus and and the okra, and their flowers look extraordinarily uh, similar. I also grow red zinger hibiscus. I forget the Latin name for it, but it's for tea. But that flower, when it arrives, is one of the most joyous sights And an okra stalk is an investment in time. What starts out really tiny and fairly weak, well, mine have ended up 12 foot tall. And again, I don't think that's normal, but they do. (laughs) They reach for the sun. And I have okra stalks that have gotten so thick and so beautiful that my husband made me an athame out of one. It is the most delicate, gorgeous, and I think meaningful tool I have. Talk about dual purpose, am I right? My gosh, I am too Southern. I'm a witch who has an okra athame. I'll be damned. But you know, after the interview, I kept thinking about it. It was a question I didn't expect, so I just answered quickly. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the best thing that I grow out there, whether it be in a pot, whether it be, well, even whether it be in a window, whether it be in the high tunnel, a hay bale, which we ought to talk about sometime, y'all. If y'all don't have space, you can grow in hay bales, and a lot. Anyway, whether it be in anything, the thing that I love growing the most is hope, because that's what it is. There is nothing more magical in the entire world to me, other than seeing a baby be born, than saving a seed, waiting all year, putting it in the soil, and watching a plant remember its ancestors and grow. And I can't tell you how many times I have taken that little phenomenon and applied it to myself. No matter how bad things are, no matter how bleak things might look, when that little seed explodes and reaches for the light, it makes me believe. Well, it makes me believe. End of the story. And just for the record, I don't think that's that far off from watching a baby be born. Kind of the same premise, right? Well, and just like babies, if you sing to a plant, if you put out good energy when you're around a young seedling, 
if you care very well for it, but also concern yourself with what kind of vibrations that plant is taking in as it's growing, well, the food tastes better. The plant is healthier. So that is sort of what a closed loop system would be like, where you are keeping your seeds and starting again from heirloom plants, which has their own history and their own magic, reusing any waste and putting it back into something that is going to be useful and healthy for you and the planet and your space, (laughs) making an okra athame. Y'all know, I know I'm silly, but it's wonderful. I should take a picture and put it up. Y'all, I'm going to take a picture and put that up on my Facebook. I have almost just ignored that Facebook and I'm going to get better at it. Ooh, no, I'll put it on Instagram. Okay, silly old woman getting excited about Instagram. And I'm sorry if this is a little bit boring. This is who I really am, though. And I said I was only going to do this podcast if it was fun for me. So y'all going to have to listen to the shit I think is fun. By the way, last thing on this issue, I think maybe my Ericana, she's 10 years old this spring. I love her. I got her as a tiny chick. Well, I got her and 12 others and everybody's done passed away on me. But this one girl and we did get the Merrick's disease from a very bad farmer who knowingly gave us Merrick's. And she did contract it, but she has lived uh, almost two years since getting it. And she always lay these pale blue eggs. And the way I knew her eggs from everyone else was she had a little notch in the end, a little calcium notch. It is her marker, always has been. And so her eggs were not the most flawless. All the other ones that have passed away laid darker blue and very smooth, no variation. I had one that laid pretty little green ones. But this little Ericana that I raised from about a week old, she had that little, what other people would call it, flaw. And she has outlived everybody. I need to go check on her today. Every day I open the door and go, please be alive, please be alive. She is my angel. She kind of will fall over a little when she runs, so she doesn't run very much anymore. I wish I had a way to give her a cane. I tiptoe around her because she's not afraid of me and likes to sit on my feet. And she's fat. She's obese at this juncture because she no longer can relegate how much she eats. And she's in there with all the other old girls. It's called the retirement coop. Some of them are only six or seven. She's the old one. And um, the whole point of all of this is that she laid an egg yesterday. And uh, while that is cause for celebration, it's been about a year, it's also cause for a little sadness. See, chickens only have so many eggs they can lay in their lifetime. And I very much worry, since it took a year to produce, that it was the last one. And they tend to die after they lay their last egg. So I was happy and I cried a little and I held this precious egg in my hand with its little famous notch on the end, a little bump of a thing. And I thought, I'm not letting this one go. Here we go. Back to me, you know, recycling, upcycling, trying to keep it all in the loop. I couldn't throw away the eggshell. So, and I'm not very good at it, but I put two holes in each end and I blew out that yolk with a straw. No, not a regular straw. I don't buy straws. We all know that's bad for the environment. 
It's a, a straw that was meant to go into um, a soap pump for your hands. Anyway, I blew that out and it is perfectly drained and I'm going to uh, preserve it, put it on its own little stand and put it on my altar because to me it represents more than one thing. Of course, the first thing, it represents this girl I love and I got to know. Very inconvenient that. And now I understand that chickens do have personalities and they do have feelings. And I've seen her grieve before. I watched her grieve when her last sister died. About killed her. Wouldn't eat for days. Anyway, so there's that. And by the way, her name is Gertrude. I forgot to tell y'all. But secondly, it's going to stand as a reminder on my altar, that sometimes it's those of us who have an imperfection, what other people might see as a flaw or a fault. Sometimes we're the survivors, y'all. My grandma used to tell me that flaws like that was what happened when God touched you, marking you as special, just so that the universe would know. I have hurt for years about some of my flaws and thought I was unlovable for some of them. And it wasn't until I decided to look at them as a touch from the universe, as that special mark on me that meant I was um, worthy, did I begin to survive. Maybe Gertrude has lived this long because of that touch, or maybe Gertrude has lived this long because (laughs) no one told her it meant that she wasn't good enough. And it was the only way I knew who she was, and I am her universe. Anyway, as you can see animals and farming has a whole lot to do with farming me has an awful lot to do with magic and if you haven't tried any of it maybe you should give it a go even if it's something very small and if you don't make it your first time please try again the one thing I tell beginning farmers or beginning gardeners is this you're going to mess up you are going to have a flaw make it work for you don't let it stop you Look at it like the universe has recognized you and you got to try again. Possibly that thing is going to be the thing that makes you survive. Keep that in mind. So what are y'all waiting for? Run your ass over to your favorite seed company and grab something. I always suggest uh, chives for a first timer. Really can't mess those up, man. Give it a shot. They'll live forever. My little patch of chives is in a tire and I've moved that tire (laughs) to a whole nother land. And it comes back every year. And we have chives anytime we want them. Give it a shot. See if I'm right. See if it doesn't change everything. And if you are a gardener already, try something new. Do something. Even if you fail at it, who gives a damn? You're going to have fun. You're going to learn something. Try something new. All right. That's about enough. I've got a little notched egg I've got to get in here and preserve. And I have a lot of grading i got to do online today. I'm still a teacher. I hope you didn't mind me talking about my farming today. And before I go today, I just want to give a shout out to my new Patreon subscribers, Bastille and Fiona. Y'all are my very first ones and it matters so much. You have no idea how much encouragement that gives me. We are very much trying to make this a self-sufficient podcast and not a drain. And that keeps me going. So thank y'all. You're going to see a couple of things happen over there that don't happen anywhere else. I appreciate y'all very much. All right, it's time to go. Y'all be looking for the next installment. I have a little something special for y'all next week. We will be interviewing one of the witches I respect the most. So 
Look out for it. Love y'all like chicken. Talk to you soon. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.